Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. I have a few thoughts on some verses here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. And then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So the first thing I want to look at is then Jesus began to announce the towns in which most of his miracles had performed because they did not repent. So we're going to talk about repentance a little bit this morning. What does repentance mean? And how do, how do we repent? Repentance means to change your mind. It means a change of mind. Many people have said that repentance means you're going this way and you turn and go the other way. Um, or they use repentance as a way of saying you need to repent from this sin and not do it anymore. And I would say in the strictest sense that's not what repentance means. Repentance means changing your mind. Jesus always went for the heart. He always went for the inside first. Because if the mind changes, then the behaviors will change. If you go from the outside in and say, you just need to start conforming to our list of rules, uh, there are some places that do that. that just, then you just become religious. Then you just become a pretty picture with, uh, dead man's bones on the insides what the Pharisees were. They followed an outside code, but their inside was, was not. It was all messed up. And so repentance means to change your mind or change your attitude. Let your thinking be changed. You need to change uh, your mind about God. You need to change your mind about yourself, and you need to really change your mind about Jesus. The question then becomes, how do you change your mind? <laughs> how does that happen? Uh, just go, um, there's metanoia. That's the word repent in the Greek. Changed after being with or think differently after. So it literally means to think differently afterwards. And so repentance really involves an encounter with truth. <laughs> An encounter with truth where we come to realize that what we thought or what we believed is not what we thought or believed. There's actually something different. It also means that we all have patterns of behavior. We all have unholy patterns of behavior in some ways, in some regards. Things that are not, we're not conformed to the image of Jesus in certain ways that we think. And so God would say, or the Bible scripture would say, Jesus would say, you need to repent. There needs to come a change of mind. We would probably have to be honest and say, that can be really tough. How do you change the inside? In some cases and in some settings, it's easier to change the outside behavior and just make it look like you're okay, right? Right? 
The hardest part is changing the inside so that what flows out of the heart really is pure and holy, wholesome, righteous. But really, that's where we have to go. That's what we have to think about. We did talk about this a while ago uh, when Jesus talked about the hypocrites earlier in Matthew. And uh, we talked about why God was hard on, or why Jesus was hard on the hypocrites. And it was an interesting point that we made because somebody who is a hypocrite says one thing and does another. So their actions are one thing, but their inside is different. So a hypocrite is really a person who doesn't exist. Jesus can't have a relationship with somebody that doesn't exist. He wants us to be real. So um, Jesus is talking to these cities who he was performing miracles in those cities, and yet they didn't repent. They didn't change their mind toward him. And they continued doing what they were doing. And so for us to be able to change our minds, not fall into that same trap, fall into that same place where we kind of understand the truth, but the truth doesn't really get in and change us in any way. We just continue on. Um, In Matthew 15, verse 17 and following, Jesus said, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. That was one of the outward things that the Pharisees did. They washed their hands ceremonially all the time. So Jesus is saying that the heart is the most important issue. So how do we change our thinking? I've considered talking about this. I've talked about it before. I, I... I often, I I find myself sharing this with people a lot. Um, And I guess it's it's because it's a pretty practical thing, but most people don't do it because they've perhaps never been taught or exposed to this idea. So I think I'm going to share it. I've been, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth all morning since I got up, whether <laughs> I mean, it's not a big deal. We've talked about it before, but it's the whole concept of confession. One of the problems that I have is when I'm driving my car, and I've told you this before, one of the problems that I have when I'm driving my cars is other people. How's that for a mindset? It's not my problem, it's their problem, right? How do I get myself, how do I change my behavior, how do I change my attitude when I'm driving to not be angry? Well, what is at the core of what I'm doing? I'm, I'm being, actually, I'm being selfish because my right of way should not be impeded in any, any way, especially by the lady this morning who pulled out in front of me when there was nobody behind us, pulled right out and goes... 15 miles an hour, and there's nobody behind us. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Now, that's just a simple example, but there are other things in our hearts and our minds, our reactions to things, our reactions to people, where we react because of what's in our heart. What's in our heart comes out, especially when the pressure comes on. Okay, so if our, if our hearts are full of love and of joy and peace, when something nasty happens to it, that's what will come out. But that's not what's in most of our hearts, right? Because we have these buttons on our back, and anybody just push that button, then guess what comes out? So how do you, how do you change your thinking? How do you dismantle the power of those thoughts and the thinking? And it's through confession. Now, when... When we trust Jesus as our Savior, we're forgiven. We're forgiven. The debt that we owed for our sin in the past, now, and in the future is forgiven, right? We don't really have to ask for forgiveness anymore. We don't have to ask for forgiveness anymore. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he will forgive us. So understand that we confess he forgives. We don't ask We don't ask for forgiveness, we confess, okay? A lot of people ask for forgiveness. Now just imagine this for a minute. Confession means saying the same thing as. Saying the same thing as God says about our sin, calling it sin. We need to call our sin sin. I need to call my attitude when I'm driving sin. I need to just say that. Well, how all, Okay, so my part is to confess it to agree with God about what it is, and he forgives. Now, not forgives in the sense that he's holding something against me, but any area of my life where I hold on to sin, that becomes a block in my relationship with God, and I can't have the intimacy that I want to have or should have, right? And so um, I confess he forgives. If that thought is a stubborn thought in my head, how do I get rid of it? I keep confessing it. Well, how often do I need to confess it? As long as it stays there. <laughs> as long as that thought's in my head, it's wrong, right? So how much, how, how, can we confess it too many times? I don't think so. And so if I want something to change in my life, I need to begin to speak out. I confess that my attitude toward other people when I drive is sin. Ask me next week how I did. I'm going to start doing that. I need to be intentional about that. Now, and I've said this before. We have talked to people and said, okay, you need to confess this as sin. And so, so we say, okay, go ahead. We're, taught, we're sitting in a, like a counseling session or just ministering. So, okay, go ahead and confess your sin uh, of gossiping. Lord, I, I, uh, I'm really sorry that, you know, sometimes I say things about people that I shouldn't say. And I say, Stop. Confess your sin. I gossip, it is wrong. Okay, that's confession. You understand what I'm saying? Confession is, this is what I do and it's wrong. And I repent, I change my mind toward that. And see, what happens as we confess and confess and confess and confess is it's like a battering ram against that thought until that thought finally breaks and and falls to the ground. And we get freedom that way. Okay, that's how we get freedom. So how do we repent? How do we really change our minds? It's by continuing to hammer. See, if we never deal with these things, they just remain. And we just, oh, I wish I was different. No, you don't. (laughs) If you really want to be different, there's a way to do it, and it's just through confession, 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 confession. You're coming into agreement. You're actually speaking 
out loud. And it doesn't have to be loud, loud. It just has to be, Lord, I confess. It needs to be audible because the enemy needs to hear it. And you're speaking it out loud and you're coming into agreement with the truth. And we've seen it over and over and over again where people, if they are willing to continue to confess things, the power of the enemy is broken and they get freedom, freedom in that area. So, so confession is not some cod liver oil kind of, kind of thing that we need to take bad medicine or nasty medicine. It's really a wonderful thing. And when you realize that, you'll be happy to confess. And then when, that, when, those, when those thoughts... You see, so many times when the pressure comes on, our default position is that wrong thinking. That's where we go when the pressure comes on. That's where we go. When that stops happening, then you know you're getting somewhere. When your default position becomes praise, when your default position becomes I bless them in Jesus' name. Then you know you're getting somewhere. And so you can learn, learn scripture, memorize scripture that will um, speak to that particular issue as well. And that's, how you, that's, that's a way that you come to repentance, where you work on it. If there's a stubborn area, then work on it and get freedom. Okay. Uh, yeah. What well, time we get into this? Tyre and Sidon were two cities that Jesus mentioned. And those two cities are in present-day Lebanon. And there was a prophecy concerning Tyre uh, in the Old Testament that Tyre would be uh, conquered by different nations and that the city would actually be scraped bare. Like there would be nothing left of the city. And that's what happened. There was an island off of the, the coast of Tyre, and the enemies came. And what happened is the, the inhabitants of Tyre were um, wanting to escape, so they moved everything from the city out to the island. And they just had a residual force in the city fighting, and eventually those folks left. The, the army broke into the city, and there was nobody there. They were all out in the island. And so the army took the building stones from the city and started to throw it into the Mediterranean Sea. And they built the causeway out to the city and then conquered it. And now if you look at Lebanon, if you look at the coast, there's this little jut of a land that goes out. That's all the result of what happened. And the Bible prophesied that. So the city was conquered, as the Scripture said. But Jesus says... That if Tyre and Sidon, if he had done the miracles in Tyre and Sidon, they'd still be here today. They would still be here today. And then it says in you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. I don't know what to do with those verses. <laughs> i just tell you. These are verses that I take and I put on a peg 
you know, just, Lord, Lord, when you have more insight on this, I'll be glad to, to receive it. How can hell be more bearable for some people than others? There must be degrees of punishment. But it's going to be more bearable for Sodom than Capernaum. Capernaum was the city that Jesus basically resided in. And he did miracles. It's where Peter's house was. He would often go back to Capernaum where he stayed most of the time. Who did Sodom and Gomorrah have as a witness to them? Lot. I, if, if we were looking for an evangelist to hire in the church, I don't think I would pick Lot. I'm not sure that he has all the qualifications that we want for an evangelist. But Capernaum had Jesus. <laughs> so when it comes to those verses, oh, where'd they go? When it comes to those verses, I don't really know what to do with them. I, when, when there's something I don't quite understand, how, how hell could be somewhat bearable? I thought all of hell was unbearable. So maybe there's something I don't quite understand. Maybe there's still something I don't, we don't know about hell. Perhaps God doesn't want us to know. Um, perhaps he just hasn't revealed that yet, but I just, I'm just open to him teaching me. Many times when there's confusing things like this, at least it's confusing for me. I don't know what you do when you hit scripture that just puzzles you. Sometimes it's an invitation to pursue it, to see if there's some hidden key that God wants to reveal so that we can learn some more. But I don't ignore those, those, those kind of things. And I, don't, and I don't try to manipulate Scripture to make myself feel better about it. I want to come to Scripture, and I want to face it head on. And, and sometimes I just have to throw up my hands and say, I don't understand this yet. Now, maybe it's not a big deal to you, but there's, there's, there's something there that someday we may get more into. Anyway... Let's just talk about uh, Sodom for, for a minute. We know that Sodom was probably the worst city, evil city that ever existed, perhaps in Jesus' time. That's why he gave that probably as an example. They were toasted, right? Fire and brimstone came from heaven, and the two cities were destroyed. And yet Jesus says that in the judgment, Capernaum's state, the people from Capernaum will be in worse condition than them. But then I think, <laughs> I'm going to bring you some encouragement, okay? The worst city ever is Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is the city that crucified the Son of God. And Jerusalem was the city that David chose, the city of peace, the city of peace. David chose that location 
to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple. He wasn't allowed to. His son did. Solomon built the temple. But it's a place where David set up a tent and they worshiped 24-7. The presence of the Lord was in Jerusalem. And David enjoyed that. And the people enjoyed the presence of God. And it was the place where God said he was going to put his name. There will be a city where I will put my name. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And yet Jerusalem became the city. And as a matter of fact, in Revelation, it says that it was the Sodom. Because that's where Jesus was crucified. But I want to encourage you with this. There are good things going to happen with Jerusalem. God's not finished with Jerusalem. God had a purpose and a plan for Jerusalem. And the enemy used his influence to try to destroy Jerusalem and to try to bring Jerusalem down and to give Jerusalem a reputation that God never intended. And the future of Jerusalem will be glorious. The future of Israel will be glorious. He's not finished with them yet. So what is it in your past (laughs) that has all of the characteristics of hell on it? What's happened to you? God loves to restore and renew and recover and make new. And if he can take a city that did something as vile as murdering the Son of God and redeem it, he can redeem anything in your life. Look what happened in that. Jerusalem crucified Jesus, and yet out of that crucifixion came salvation okay the greatest evil brought about the greatest good so what are the things in your life that you may think now not everybody has trauma nobody not everybody has really horrible things in their past some people do but see nothing disqualifies you from the restoration process and the things that god wants to release through your life so perhaps you're someone who never really had anything dramatically terrible or difficult happen in your life you say, well, then I, you know, what's, what's, what's my potential? Well, your potential is the hidden treasure that God put in you when he created you. And in relationship with him, that can be unpacked and blossom and flow. And for people who have had trauma in their lives, who have had difficulty, who may have things in their life where people would want to put a label on them and say, do you know what is in their past? God takes that, turns it around, and uses it for his glory. And to the degree that the deprivation came, to that degree, the heights of glory can be manifested in that life when it's surrendered to the Lord. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, we think about that whole picture and repentance and all this. There's so much that God wants to do with us, and he can do through us if we will walk in cooperation with him in the things that he wants to do through our lives. And so my question to you this today is, what do you want? What do you want? Are you willing? Are you willing to go through the process of repentance, to see your mind change, to see those characteristics and attitudes in you change? One of the ways to do that is through repentance, through confession, confession, confession. And not in a miserable, like, woe is me kind of way, but oh, I confess that is sin, yeah. Confess that a sin, yeah. I'm hammering that thing 
I'm beating it up. I'm breaking it down. I'm going to get set free from that. I confess that as sin. And watch the Lord bring freedom in your life. Watch him bring you to a new level of freedom and, and, and fulfillment. And don't think for a minute that God can't use you or that your life can't amount to, or won't amount to anything. God's not saying that about you. He never said that about you. Even at the worst time in your life, he never said that about you. Maybe in the midst of your worst decision ever, God was in heaven saying, look at my daughter, look at my son. I love them. I love them. Look at the potential in them. Watch what happens when my glory is revealed through them. It was never negative toward us. He wants the best for us. So let's not be like the people in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. But let's be people that pursue him with all of our hearts. Joyfully, joyfully ridding ourselves of the things that hold us back. Some of the things that God gives us that we typically think of being onerous or demeaning or difficult really are the things that are life-giving and confession is that kind of